Welcome to our study, Horizontal Jesus. We're gonna to discover today how you can experience God at a whole nother level when you connect your horizontal relationship with others to your vertical relationship with Him. We're gonna discover that when the vertical connects with the horizontal, boy, you're in for a special experience with the living and true God. We're gonna look at the theology of it. Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given to you. Now that verse has been abused and misused and misapplied. It's been used to emphasize a, a one-way street in our relationship with God where He blesses us. But we're gonna discover when God can work through you to benefit others through the one another's of Scripture, then He doesn't mind working to you because He knows you are a conduit Christian and not a cul-de-sac Christian. So join me as we learn about the theology of it. In fact, come on, let's find out what it is all about. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to our study on Horizontal Jesus. We're going to be talking about our connectivity, not only with God, but with each other. What it is, why it is, and why it is so, so very important. You know, our study today is taking place in our education center. And uh, this is our largest and most expensive building on our campus. But for a while, there was a time when nobody wanted to come in here, at least on this side of the building, because there was this smell. Uh, there was this smell that kind of repelled you when you came through the door. Now, we spent too much money for folk not wanting to come in this building. <laughs> too much energy, time, it's too sophisticated, too much media. But the atmosphere was not conducive for people to come in. Well, we found out that a pipe in one of the restrooms had busted. And we also found out that the fan was turning the wrong way. So instead of taking scents out, it was pushing them down, causing this not to be the most pleasant place to come into. In other words, the atmosphere did not equal the purpose for the facility. Well, you know, church can be like that sometimes. You can spend a lot of money, you can have a lot of program, you can have a lot of people, but a bad scent. So you don't want to be there, even though there may be a, a lot of reasons to go there. But in understanding one of the primary reasons why God established his church, it really does change how you look at it and how you function in it. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ did not create the church simply to be a classroom for instruction or merely a theater for religious performance, but he meant it to be a community for spiritual connection. We call it being a family, a spiritual family, where people get connected with each other while they're being simultaneously connected with God. So I call that horizontal Jesus, where the connection with Jesus this way 
becomes our connection with him this way. That is our vertical connection with the Lord is expressed in our horizontal relationship with one another. In fact, when I studied this and came to learn it and understand it and uh, engage it, I found out that this is no minor thing in God's program. It is a major thing in God's program. And that's why throughout scripture, you find the one another is repeated over and over and over and over again. We're going to look at some of those key one another's. But today and right now, we want to look at an understanding of why it's important. Why it's important that God's people are vitally connected with each other if they also want to be experientially and vitally connected with the Lord. Over and over again, the Bible says in one way or another, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I know oftentimes that's connected to money, but it's much bigger than that. And the principle is simply this. When God knows he can flow through you, he's much more interested in flowing to you. Let me put it another way. If you are a cul-de-sac Christian rather than a conduit Christian, you will limit what God is free to do with you. You see, God's nature is to give. For God so loved the world that he gave. And he wants his nature to permeate his children so that we touch others in the same way that we want God to touch us. That's why I want to bring a specific scripture out in our, in our session today. And it's Luke 638. It's often been misused and abused. And I'll speak to that in a moment, but I don't want to lose the truth of it just because of the misuse of it. It says give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. To summarize it, what you put out, you get back. How you bless others positions you for how God blesses you. Now, the key word is it. I call it the theology of it. <laughs> Give and it. What do I mean by the theology of it? Well, when God first created the world, he said in Genesis chapter one, verse 12, that what he created would be recreated through seeds. That seeds would be planted in the ground and then it says, and they would pre-produce after their own kind. So you don't have apple seeds producing pears. You don't have pear seeds producing watermelons. Uh, you have seeds producing after their own kind. Not only do they produce after their own kind, but they produce more than you originally started with. And so when you plant corn, you get a whole stalk. You don't just get uh, one ear because they were designed to replicate. Now, I don't care how spiritual a farmer is. Let's say Farmer Brown loves the Lord. He just loves the Lord and he just believes in the Lord. And so Farmer Brown prays regularly. In fact, he prays all day. He talks to God. 
Farmer Brown is so in love with the Lord that he, uh, he studies his Bible. So Farmer Brown has really got this thing going vertically with the Lord. And he wants God to give him a bumper crop. He wants God to give him a bumper crop of whatever Farmer Brown is planting. So he prays over his field. He has a Bible study over his field. But Farmer Brown doesn't plant any seeds. Uh, you would call Farmer Brown foolish. Not because he's not reading his Bible. Not because he's not talking to God. But he hadn't given anything, God anything to work with. Because... If you have a need, you must plant a seed. And whenever Farmer Brown plants a seed, it's designed to do more for him than just the seed he plants. It's designed to be a blessing to others because Farmer Brown is going to take it to market and other people are going to be able to eat from the seed he planted. We have a generation of people today who need God for a whole bunch of things. They need God for encouragement. They need God for love. They need God for resources. They, they uh, need God for uh, a, a relationship. They need God. They will pray about a matter, go to a Bible study about a matter, but never plant a seed about the matter that they themselves are needing. And then they wonder whether God has abandoned them. Well, I'm sure you would tell Farmer Brown, God hadn't abandoned you. He's just waiting for your seed so he can meet your need for the resources that come from farming. Because it says it reproduces after its own kind. In other words, you get back what you plant. When I began to look at the word it that way, when I began to see that it was the planting, the need was actually in the seed. If you need a watermelon, you're going to plant a watermelon, a watermelon seed. The need is in the seed. And that the reproducing of that need would be after its own kind, that you would get back what you invest elsewhere. I began to look at the scripture and see whether that played out beyond just farming as we see it in uh, Genesis chapter 1 when God created the fruits and the plants and all of that. Whether... It had a life when it had to do with human beings. And I was just stunned at the many illustrations in Scripture. Let me just highlight a few of them because it is critical that as we look at our own lives and look at the lives of others, that we not only do it, we encourage others to do it because that means everybody's ministering and everybody's being ministered to. So the seed begins to grow and there's a spread of impact in people's lives as well as from God to us as we horizontally connect with one another. You take, for example, the widow of Zarephath. The widow of Zarephath was hungry. She was down to her last meal. And what did God tell Elijah? He says, I have a widow. She's a Gentile widow, which means she's the last person you would ever expect. She's not part of the Jewish nation. And I have instructed her to feed you. So he goes to Zarephath, he runs into this lady. Could this be the lady? He asked her, uh, would you make me, uh, get me some water, get me something to drink and make me a bread cake. Now, girlfriend is down to her last meal. She lets Elijah know in no uncertain terms, look, look, we down to our last meal, you know, 
we got to bake it so we can make it uh, one more day. And we just, we just can't do that. But, but the Bible says in Luke 4, she exercised faith. So she believed God that if she obeyed God, that God would have to take it from there. So she baked the, the bread and she gave it to Elijah. And then it says her jar of oil did not run out. In other words, when she met a need that she had, because she was out of food, she didn't know it up front, but she was planting the seed. So she met the need of another in the same need that she had. God turned around horizontally and he blessed her so that she had enough to keep on living. And even she got some bonuses because God, through Elijah, raised her son from the dead. So she met a need by planting a seed in the life of another that reversed back to her and she got the blessing she was looking for. You take um, somebody like Hannah. Hannah couldn't get pregnant. Yeah, she couldn't get pregnant. She was depressed because she couldn't get pregnant. She went to the temple every year and she could not have a child. One day she prayed. And she said, Lord, if you give me a son, I will give the son back to you to serve you in the temple, which meant I'm going to give the boy back to you to minister to other people because that's what the temple did. So I'm going to give you what you want to be a blessing to your people. But you've got to perform a miracle for that to happen because I'm barren. It was after that prayer that the Bible says she got pregnant. When God knew he could meet a need with that seed that would be a blessing to others, she got a miracle. One of the ones I love the most is Job. In Job 42, we come to the end of Job's trial time and he had some horrific trial. He was going through hard times and he was waiting for God to do something. and God wasn't doing anything and he didn't understand why God wasn't doing anything. He wasn't understand why nothing was happening with his life. But then you come to Job and you come to Job 42 verse 10. And in verse 10 it says, and when Job prayed for his friends, God changed the circumstances of his trial and turned his life around. Job has spent 42 chapters asking God, change me. I'm in a problem. I can't be praying for nobody else. I'm hardly getting enough energy to pray for me because I can't find you. He has some friends who come and they were off too. And they needed some help. God so worked and developed Job spiritually that even in his pain, he looked and touched the life of another. And it says, I like the word when, when he prayed for his friends, that is when he got a miracle in his life. What I'm suggesting to you is that this principle of it, the theology of it, is the way God can be free to be himself, the giving God that he is, and still come back and minister to you. Now, I don't know about you, but just learning this principle made me want to just go out and minister to anybody I ran into. You know, 
I'm finding out what's wrong with me. Go find out somebody that had the same thing wrong with them. Go minister to them so I could see it work back to me. Now, this verse thus far has been terribly misused in our world uh, under the banner of prosperity theology. So let me take a moment to correct that. Prosperity theology says, I'm giving to get. I'm going to give this so God can give me back. Now, the problem with that way of thinking is that it promotes greed. It turns God into Santa Claus or a slot machine. I put my money in, I put my activity in, I pull the lever and I'm expecting coins to come out and it turns our relationship to, with God into a business deal, okay? The it being referred to in this passage is an it of ministry, not merely an it of money, nor is it merely an it of me. You see, the reason why God emphasizes giving is to remove selfishness, to remove, uh, you see, if you're saved, your salvation is personal, but it is not private. That's why God calls us into a community of believers, a spiritual family called a church. And he wants us to relate to each other in that context. And because that is true, the principle is give to give and you get a little different, not give to get give to give another gift to minister, give the it that somebody else needs. That's why you're looking to meet a need as opposed to I'm just looking to prosper me, change me. I'm looking to minister. And that's what we do in our small groups. That's we want to minister to them, but we want them to minister to others. And as we give to give, we get the little boy who had his lunch. And there was a big problem Jesus had. There were 5,000 men, not counting women and children. That's, uh, that's 20,000 people or more. There were no McDonald's open. There were no churches chicken. I was going to say uh, uh, there were no barbecue places, but they couldn't eat pork. So that was out. So there was no place to get food. The question that Jesus had to raise was, how are we going to solve this problem? It's, it's, a, it's a huge problem, and none of the disciples had an answer. Their only answer was send them home. Let them fend for themselves. But then Jesus heard that there was a boy with some sardines and crackers. There was some boys with uh, fish and barley loaves. Jesus said, have the boy bring it to me. Now, I don't know whether you've ever taken time to think about this boy. We don't know his name, but I know he had a choice because that was his lunch. <laughs> Jesus was asking this kid for his lunch. So this boy had to decide, am I going to eat my lunch? Or am I going to share my lunch with Jesus? The context was food, but it was a context of teaching. It was ministry. Okay. So it was a social context in a spiritual purpose. So he gives his lunch to Jesus. Jesus prays over it. Now we got Moby Dick laying on the beach. Okay. Sardines and crackers have now become something huge so that almost 20,000 people get ministered to because a boy was willing to give something. 
But now let me tell you about this boy. The Bible says that when everybody ate, they ate as much as they wanted. Before the boy gave it to Jesus, he could only eat as much as he had. Okay, he could only eat as much as he had. But having given it to Jesus, meaning for ministry to people, having Jesus blessed it because Jesus prayed on it, he experienced the horizontal Jesus like crazy because what he saw was not only could he eat more than he started with because he could eat till he was tired of eating, but so could everybody else. And then there were 12 baskets full of leftovers. We're talking about doggy bags here because a boy was willing to invest in ministry to someone else. And so this thing about horizontal Jesus has to do with spiritual connection. It has to do with our relationship with Christ connecting and manifesting itself in our relationship with others, with the it factor. Now, what will happen if you take the theology of it seriously and you become a representative of the horizontal Jesus in what, is, what you do in ministry to the groups that you have, the people that you relate with, does not mean that God does not uh, allow us to go through trials. Does not mean that we won't have hard times, but it means that those challenges are really an opportunity to see God do something to you because he did something through you. It says, notice the word in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap good measure. Keyword, they. That means people. Okay? So you're giving to minister. The it is not just money. The it is any form of legitimate ministry. The one another's of scripture. So you give it, whatever it is, within the scope of your capacity to another person who's in the family of God, and God has a they. We've gone from you giving it to they coming back to you. So you're only one person, but God's got a group with your name on it. Here's the beautiful thing about ministry coming back to you. God's got options because he went to the plural. They, they will give back. So God will touch somebody else to come full circle to your need because he could touch you to come full circle to their need. So everybody gets caught up in this circle of touching, in this circle of ministry, one to the other in the context of the family of God. And so he calls us, you know, uh, Paul, Paul says in Philippians 4, uh, 19, you know, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God has no lack according to in line with his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, everybody who I know that has a need knows that verse. They can quote that verse. And I heard one guy do it backwards. Okay? <laughs> my God promised to meet my needs. Okay. So they love verse 19. But what they didn't do was start with verse 15. Because when you read verse 15 through verse 18, Paul says, because you met my needs, 
when I was hurting, because you ministered to me when I was struggling, my God shall meet your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So the next time you quote that verse or the next time somebody else quotes that verse, back up, back up to verse 15, because it was your willingness, Paul says, to minister that allowed God to minister back to you. Paul puts it another way in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says five times that word comfort. He says, God comforts you that you might be a comforter in the life of somebody else. He doesn't just comfort you so that you can be comforted. He comforts you so you become a comforter. That's the problem with this bless me emphasis today because it stops with the individual making the, the, making the request and they don't use it as an opportunity. In fact, I give out a little secret to folks. I say, whenever you go to God to do something for you, tell him how it will be a blessing to somebody else because he will be much more interested in your prayer. When you say, God, I need you to do this in my life. And as you do this in my life, I want it to flow to the life of someone else. In fact, while I'm waiting for you to do this in my life, I'm going to flow whatever I can in this area, whatever it is, to somebody else so that you can pick out some vase to come back to me. But I'm going to give to give. I'm going to let you cover the vase that is who returned. And how does that return happen? Well, look at what he says. He says in verse 38 that they will pour into your lap. He says, press down, shaking together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, listen to what he says. He says, they're going to pour into your lap, into your life. Needs come in all shapes and sizes, but they're going to pour into your life. And he says, when God comes back your way, he's going to come back your way with uh, pressed down, shaken together. Now, the picture here is of a, a Jewish housewife who goes to buy grain. And she goes to buy grain. And she has this apron on where the grain is measured out. So whatever amount she asks for is measured out. But when it is measured out, then it is shaken to cover any spaces that were left unfilled by the grain creating more space for more grain. Then she or the, or, or the uh, person selling it to her would press it down in order to make room for more. So guess what God is saying? When he can use you to do it for somebody else, when they, whoever they are, come back your way, not only do you get the it that you gave, but he creates room for you to get more than you gave up. In other words, it's called investment. When you invest in the lives of others spiritually in any number of categories of life, and that's what this dynamic of the one another's is in scripture. It is touching the life of another. Now, I can't minister to everybody, thousands of members at our church, 
You can't minister to everybody, but everybody can minister to somebody. And if you and your groups get everybody to minister to somebody, everybody gets ministered to, and then they got a group called they. Because if one person ministers to this person, the person who did the ministry has a whole other group there who can come back around to them. And the way it gets pressed down is that if you ministered to one person, but God touches three people to come back to you, you got it pressed down, running over, because you got more than you gave up. You gave you, God gave you they. And the good measure, he says, will be the standard. It will be at the level. At the level. Ministry's tough. But people's lives are not going to be changed by the pulpit alone. By Bible studies alone. Those are foundational and those are critical. But when it comes to seeing people's lives changed, it will, it will come because Jesus has taken on hands and feet. Jesus has touched lives through lives. And as we minister to one another, we will find God transforming us. Our goal in the horizontal Jesus is to see God create in our church and in every church groups of people who are so ministry minded that they give it and they get it because their motivation is not just to get it. Their motivation is to give it. A man one day was uh, lost in a desert and it was extremely hot. He didn't think he was going to make it and uh, started to get dizzy because of the lack of water. He came upon a shack and when he walked into the shack, there was a well coming up out of the ground with a jar of water. There was a sign above the jar and it says, use this water to prime this pump. Now, this man is thirsty and he's seeing some water, enough that would hold him for a little while. But the sign said, use this water to prime this pump. So he's thinking, he says to himself, Self. <laughs> if you drink this water, you're going to have something. It'll hold you up for a little bit. But what happens if you pour it to prime the pump and it doesn't prime? Now you lose everything. Do I believe the sign? Or am I going to limit myself to what I see? Because I see some water right now. Up in here, up in here. <laughs> He took the chance. He poured the water in and began to prime the pump. And after he pumped a number of times, water bubbled up out of the well. And not only did he have water that was much more than what he lost in the prime, he had water to cover him until he got delivered. There was another sign. It says, when you have used this water to prime the pump, refill it so that the next person who passes by will have the same opportunity. Luke 6.38 gives you a sign. 
give and it will be given to you. You have a choice. I have a choice. Am I only going to get what God gives me or am I going to be a channel to prime the pump? Am I going to leave something for somebody else? It's not always evident how much water God has got under the ground until you have enough faith to prime the pump. His word is our sign. The question is, are we going to believe it and prime the pump? Or are we just going to get everything we can for us until it runs out and we're done? Horizontal Jesus says, the one another's, that's the way to see lives, including our own, transformed.